You are listening to the Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship Podcast, which comes from the Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship Church, located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Today, Pastor John is preaching his first sermon in a new series on the book of Matthew called The King from Heaven. Today's sermon is titled Joseph and is from Matthew 1 and 2. When we watch a Christmas pageant, we expect to see several prominent characters. For sure Mary, the angels, the shepherds, and usually the wise men. There are supporting roles that also must be there. Joseph and the innkeeper, for example, but they rarely have speaking parts. In more comprehensive presentations, we might even see Zachariah and Elizabeth, King Herod, and maybe even Simeon and Anna. Joseph certainly has a prominent role. He is in a lot of scenes, but he never says a word, at least not according to the original script in the Bible. Today we'll look at Joseph's role specifically. How does he fit into the Christmas story? How does he fit in God's plan for saving the world? Well, today we start our series on on the King from Heaven, a study in the book of Matthew. And it's appropriate to start uh, at the beginning this time because we are near the Christmas season and the first couple of stories are about Christmas. But the thing I wanted to connect with you all first was the fact that um, the Old Testament, uh, from what I understand, some sources say that the the books of the Old Testament were arranged in a way different than we have in our um, modern Bibles today, and that the last book of the New Testament was Second Chronicles, and Second Chronicles ends with a genealogy. And so it's appropriate that the writer of Matthew would start with a genealogy. It's important for us to understand that the um, <clears throat> the Bible, the New Testament, is a continuation of the story. And the early church and the people who believed in Jesus, they expected the story to continue. They understood that the first part of the story, the first covenant, the, the Old Testament, we call it, the first part of the scriptures, were the beginning of the story, but the end of the story had yet to come. And so the fact that we trust the New Testament as reliable is indicated by the fact that it was a continuation of the story, and the early church expected that and understood that and applied it early on. So let me start by reading a little bit from the very first part of Matthew. It says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 into 6, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, excuse me, Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And so it's interesting to see from these early genealogies how um, God is incorporating all the nations of the earth, not just the Jewish people. And then Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And last week we talked about David and Goliath and how he is the the king that the um, could say in his Psalm 110, that the Lord said to my Lord, uh, set at 
my side or set my right hand until I put your enemies under your footstool. And so David could call his greater son his Lord. And so the Jesse being the father of King David, King David is a pivotal character in the Bible, and he is also the one to whom it is promised that one of his descendants will reign on the throne forever and ever. And we understand that that would be, of course, Jesus. And so David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then the story goes on and the um, genealogy goes on. And so I'm going to skip over some of it and, and come down to verse 15. Eliad was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so now we have the connection that Joseph is a legal and a um, inheritance rights descendant of David and of Abraham, and that his uh, wife and his children would have the legal rights to be the heirs of the throne of David. And so for sure, Joseph is in the line here that we see is the legal line. Um, I, the, uh, there's another genealogy in the book of Luke that is a little bit different. It splits off uh, right away after the sons of Solomon, and some believe that that is the genealogy of Mary. So the bloodline of Mary is also through the uh, throne of David. And so both lines are down the road, but they're descendants of David, um, both Mary as the bloodline and Joseph as the legal inheritance line. But either way, um, <clears throat> we see here very clearly that Joseph is the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So there's a particular um, significance to the writer of Matthew in the way that these things are laid out. <clears throat> and so what we're going to do tonight, or today, it's nighttime when I record this, but what we're going to do is, in this message, is we're going to um, look at Joseph in particular, the Joseph story. If you were ever going to be given an assignment in a Christmas play, you'd for sure want the uh, the role of Joseph if you were me, because you wouldn't have to memorize any lines, because Joseph is never recorded. None of his words are recorded, and yet he's a very critical character in the Christmas story, and something that's uh, important for us to understand. So let me pray a minute and ask God to bless us as we try to understand what the Bible tells us about this man named Joseph. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and your love for us. Thank you for working in history and planning and bringing about your Messiah, the seed of the woman who would come from Eve's descendant, who would crush the serpent's head. And we see how that line is traced through to um, Seth, the substitute for his brother Abel, and all the way through to Abraham and, and through Isaac and Jacob and and we see the descendants all the way through to King David and his descendants. And, and then we see Mary and Joseph, descendants of David, and the parents, as it were, of Jesus, your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk about Joseph specifically. And the first thing I wanted to point out about Joseph is that he arrived according to God's plan. So Joseph arrived on the scene according to God's plan. Um what I mean by that is that his family and his race was planned by God. He, the God worked it all out, 
If you were the individual Joseph, you would have to realize that you had arrived to this day and hour that you were born in, in the family you were born in, and of the race, the family line of Abraham. And so every one of us is in that same boat. We, God is, uh, we've all arrived according to God's plan. We don't always have as big a role, perhaps, as Joseph, but uh, that's maybe our perspective, not God's. And so God sees everything importantly, and, and every person's story is important. That's why he created us. But it's important for us to realize that Joseph came according to God's family and race. He, he, he didn't get to choose those things. Those were God's plan. Um, Joseph arrived according to God's plan in his time, the time that he came. He was born exactly when he needed to come at the right time and at the place where he would be in his world. He came to the right place. He happened to be born in, and raised in Nazareth and was part of the relationship that worked in his life that he would be able to meet uh, somebody like Mary. And so he had family relationships that God organized and planned out. And so Joseph was, um, some for some reason, attracted to Mary or else through some other legal transaction had, had been espoused. And so Joseph and Mary are promised to be married. In our culture, that's stronger than an engagement. It actually required divorce to break up an engagement in that day, even though they had not actually come together yet. They were still separate. They were not officially married, but the espousal, espousal of relationship was a contract that needed to be broken legally. And so they were very committed. Joseph was very committed to Mary. And so his family relationships were according to God's plan. And then also his gifts and abilities, so what, what he was good at and what he enjoyed doing. All of these things were according to God's plan. God is super intelligent, right? He's the wisest person of all. Uh, he's, a, he's the creator of all. And so he organizes history according to his plan. And each person is placed exactly where he wants them to be and exactly the right time. The gender, the family, the time, the place, the the situation, the relationships that they have. Have you ever thought about the fact that God gave you, you brothers and sisters and, and your parents, he gave you those by his sovereign plan. And of all the plans that he could have made, this one plan is the one that he did make. And so we can have confidence that it's God's perfect plan. And then I also want to point out that God was in control of Joseph's economic status. He knew that Joseph would be a poor man. From what we understand, um, he was not a wealthy man the way that he is when they first uh, gave Jesus to go to the temple to perform the circumcision and the other uh, things that needed to be done. He um, gave the poorest uh, sacrifice, the, the, the bird offering, because that was the one that the poor people could afford. It was the lowest cost approach. And, and so Joseph was largely a poor person. And so even that is part of God's plan. And so I just want us to point those things out, that Joseph arrived according to God's plan. The other thing I noticed about Joseph is that Joseph feared God. We know that from the text, right? If we look at Matthew chapter 1, we say, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. So she was already pledged to be married to Joseph. This contract was already there. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So we know the story, but Joseph didn't know how she became pregnant, at least not yet. And so because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so as he 
discovers that his fiance, his espoused wife, is pregnant, his only conclusion would be that he knew he wasn't the father, and so he, his only conclusion could be that she had been unfaithful. And so rather than making a public spectacle of her or ridiculing her in anger, he, he uh, deferred and he really had in mind to divorce her quietly, to not make a big stink about it for her sake. And, and the Bible tells us here that he was a righteous man. And a person is not that kind of a person unless they fear God. I think it's important to understand that, that Joseph must have had a relationship with God, must have understood who God was, and he cared what God thought. And he was kind-hearted to someone who had greatly offended him. He could almost say that he had a forgiving spirit. He was gracious in his dealings with Mary when he thought that she had been unfaithful. And so Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so he was a person who feared God. So Joseph arrived according to God's plan on this earth, and he feared God, but then also Joseph heard the gospel truth. So Joseph had a moment in his life where he understood and heard the gospel. And I think this is pretty interesting that he heard the gospel actually through the lips of an angel, at least in a very clear way. He may have understood God's grace and the fact that salvation comes by faith and those things from the Old Testament writings that was certainly there. But the uh, look at how clearly the angel tells him. After he had considered this, the idea of divorcing her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And so Joseph gets a direct connection with God through a dream. And in a dream, and God said to him, or the angel of the Lord said to him, Joseph, son of David. So he connects it, and Joseph knows this already, but he's addressed as a son of David. He's a descendant of the king, right? And he says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so um, I don't know how stressed Mary was about how Joseph was going to deal with all this, and what could she tell him? Who would ever believe her that she had been visited by an angel? And the angel promised that what would be born of her was from the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty far-fetched story. But here, um, Mary can trust God and tell her husband. And that's exactly what happened. God talked to her husband through the angel. And, and he said, um, and he told Joseph that this, what is in her, this baby, is not from a human being. This is from the Holy Spirit. And so she's a virgin who is conceived. She's a person who is going to bear God's son. The father of, is God. And so... Um, it's from the Holy Spirit. And then look at what the angel says. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So Joseph, you have the naming authority. You are the head of the house, and you are going to name him Jesus. And the reason you're going to name him Jesus is because he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph is told that Jesus' name um, some would say in, in the Jewish or in the Hebrew tongue, it would be Yeshua, God saves, or Yahweh saves, or Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so Jesus, the name that we have in English from the Greek is that he will save his people from their sins. So the most important thing about Jesus that's coming, his most important task, his, the, the, in the shortest possible amount of words, the angel tells Joseph that what Jesus the son of Mary is going to do, his legal son, uh, as the uh, uh, stepfather, I guess you could call him, or as the uh, adoptive father, certainly not the biological father of Jesus, 
that he, this great work that Jesus would do would be to save his people from their sins. The angel didn't say he's going to come to earth and feed 5,000, although Jesus does that. He doesn't say that Jesus is going to come to earth and make the blind see and the lame walk, although the, there's other prophecies like that. And he didn't come and say that Jesus is going to raise from the dead or that Jesus is going to build a great church. What All of those things are true, but the most important thing, what history looks at, is that Jesus came to save people from their biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. We have been separated from God. Our decisions to be our own boss and to, and to choose to do things our own way has made us guilty before God. We are sinners. And the Bible makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. And so when we choose to disobey God in that way, we have brought upon ourselves judgment and condemnation. We deserve God's righteous wrath. Justice would say whoever would rob God of his glory, whoever would rebel against the creator, that person is worthy of death. And so we are sinners and we are worthy of death. But Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. He doesn't um, make it so that the sins don't matter. What he does is he comes and lives a perfect life. And he offers himself on the cross. His, his positive obedience to God through living a perfect life is matched by his passive obedience to God as he gives himself up as a sacrifice, like as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus bears all the penalty for our sin on the cross. And so even though we lost it all and we, we lost everything that we had with God because we were sinners, Jesus comes and he fulfills all righteousness. He does it all and he does the work of salvation by dying for us on the cross. Then, through, those, through faith in Jesus, those who believe in him, who trust that this is exactly what he came to do, and accept that for themselves, when they understand, when you or I understand the magnitude of our sin, that we deserve to be condemned, and the magnitude of Jesus' gift for us, that, that we don't deserve that grace, but he does offer it to us. When we see both our lostness and Jesus' great provision of salvation, when we, when we understand those things together and we say, yes, for me, thank you, then we are saved and we get it all. And all of Jesus' righteousness comes on us and we become co-heirs with him and he's our brother. He's not, ashamed to call us his bro or he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters because we are now part of his family. And so we're adopted by the Father in heaven. We have eternal life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to guarantee what's going to come. All of those things are wrapped up in this simple statement. He will save his people from their sins. Those people that he came to save, he will save. And he will rescue us from our sins, the consequence of our sins, the power of sin in our life. Since Jesus died for us, we have it all, and now we can live in a way that pleases him. We're not perfect, but all of our sins are paid for, and we're so grateful for what Jesus has done that we can go forward and live for him. And then someday he's going to come back and build a new heaven, a new earth, and we will be spared from the presence of sin. So Jesus, that's a clear gospel. So Joseph arrived according to God's plan. He came at the right time, the right place, the right family, the right possessions, the right uh, skills and abilities, the right family. And he feared God in his life. But there was also a time when he heard the gospel truth and he understood what really matters and that Jesus could die for our sins. It must have been perplexing to think of this Messiah, this is the one. You know, everybody, and it, well, most people in his day thought that Messiah would come and, and establish his military and his 
political kingship right away and rule the world. And there was confusion about how could the Messiah be a suffering one. And so maybe Joseph didn't get the whole picture, but he understood that the Messiah was the one who would pay. And somehow or another, he would be saved through this son of his that would come through Mary. So those are the things that Joseph experienced so far. And then the fourth one is Joseph obeyed for a long time. Um, after you uh, come to relationship with Jesus, when you and I are saved, we need to obey for a long time. There, it's not an easy road, and obedience is not easy to do. But Joseph was obedient in every in every case. I I think it's pretty cool that he um, he dreamed. There's four dreams recorded in the Bible that Joseph had, and every time he responded by obedience. And so let me just look at some of those. First of all, right after this vision of this dream. When Joseph woke up from the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. And so he obeyed right away. God says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. I've called you to this. You're going to name him. You're going to name him Jesus. And so he woke up, and he, he did what the Lord told him to do, and he went and married Mary. And then, when he had, and then also said he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so just like um, was told him to do, he, he waited and stayed away from Mary. He exercised self-control. And when the baby was born, he named the baby Jesus. He obeyed God's instruction in every way. What he was told to do, he did. He didn't think of a new way or a nuance. He didn't, he didn't think of a different name for Jesus. He did what was clear. And so he obeyed for a long time. Look at some of the other things he did. He, he took Mary as his wife. Then he traveled to Bethlehem. You know, there was a decree made by Caesar Augustus, right? That all the world should be taxed. And in order to be taxed, they needed to be counted. And so everybody had to go to their hometown and obey the king and um, and do that. And I wonder if in, Jesus, in Joseph's day, whether there was people said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to travel all that far. And to... And to do this, I mean, we don't want the king of uh, Caesar to be, we don't want the king of Rome, the Caesar, to be able to tax us anyway. They don't have any right to do it. And you know how corrupt Rome is and all that. I wonder if there was some, uh, some people refused to obey Caesar's command. But somehow or another, Joseph did what the government told him to do. And um, it was inconvenient to do, but he did. And if he had not, then Mary would not have given birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. And it was important that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was God's plan. That was the place where he was to be born. And so Joseph has just married this woman, uh, Mary. She's pregnant and has not delivered the baby. And they have to pack up everything and travel to Bethlehem. Not an easy task. And yet God was working through the uh, powers and authorities that he had ordained. He was working through even the, the Caesar of Rome to bring about his perfect plan and have Jesus brought to Bethlehem. So I don't think Joseph necessarily knew why he was going to Bethlehem from God's perspective, but he knew he was going to Bethlehem because Caesar told him to, and he complied with that command. And so sure enough, he obeyed God in that regard too. And then he named the baby Jesus. He didn't name him something else. He named him who he was supposed to name him. Jesus, the one who will take us, or who take who will save his people from their sins. And then um, after the angel, or after the, the wise men came and visited, we're going to talk about the wise men next week, but 
Um, after the wise men came and visited, um, God gave another dream to Joseph and told him to flee to Egypt because those who are seeking the baby's life, are, are there's, there's, Herod's going to try to kill him. Now, can you imagine? Here's Joseph. He's living in Bethlehem. Jesus is growing up. We think that Jesus was probably a couple of years old by this time. And um, we think that because when the uh, when Herod decides to kill all the babies, he kills all of the boys born in that area um, who are two years old and younger, according to the time that the wise men said that the star appeared. And so the estimate was that the baby could be two years old. So it's probably likely that Jesus was a two-year-old toddler and, and living in Mary and Joseph's house. And maybe by now, uh, Mary is already pregnant with another child of their own that Joseph and Mary together had, or um, maybe um, maybe there was already a baby there. Maybe Mary was holding uh, Joseph's little brother or sister. The Bible tells us elsewhere that Joseph, Jesus had many brothers and sisters. I guess you'd call them half-brothers and sisters because um, Jesus' um, father was God, of course. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so the angel told uh, Joseph, here he is. This one day, they're just living their life, and all of a sudden these wise men come to the door and they declare that they've been looking for this Messiah, and they come and worship and bow down, and they give all kinds of gold and frankincense and myrrh, these very expensive gifts. And Joseph, you know, he's apparently not a wealthy person at all, based on the other evidence we have. And now they've got all kinds of money. And that night, he goes to sleep, wondering what on earth is going on, and what are we going to do? We've got it now. We've got Easy Street. And in the middle of the night, the uh, angel comes and tells him that he has to flee to Egypt. And so that, that he wakes up and they pack up everything and they leave the next day for life or death. This wasn't a casual departure. They had to get out of Dodge now. And so they, Joseph packs them up his family. So maybe he's got Jesus, the little boy, and maybe another baby or a one on the way. And they have to take the possessions that they have and pack up their gold and frankincense. Maybe they sold some of it off to liquidate it. And they travel to Egypt and they stay down in Egypt for quite a while. We don't know how long exactly, but it might have been several years. We know that it, um, by the time Jesus is 12, they're back in Nazareth, Nazareth again. So somewhere between 2 and, and 10 years, they'd have to be that they were in Egypt for some time. But during that time, King Herod dies. And so Joseph has this third dream. And the dream from uh, the angel is that he is supposed to bring Jesus back to the, the Holy Land, back to Israel. And so... Joseph packs up his family. Now maybe there's three kids, and they they pack up their family and come back to um, back to the Galilee area. But then after they get to Galilee, he wants to stay in one place. But the uh, the Herod's brother is now the king, and uh, and so the one the king who died has frightened Joseph, and so he's thinking about his family doing the right thing, and he has his fourth dream. So there's the dream about taking Mary as his wife. There was a dream to flee the, the Herod. There was a dream to come back from Egypt. And then the fourth dream is to move to Nazareth again, which is Joseph's own hometown. And so God on purpose wants Jesus to be raised in Nazareth. And we have a negative view of Nazareth because when Jesus calls his disciples, one of them was, a, was amazed that anything good could come from Nazareth. And so um, that was another interesting part of that. Nazareth had a, a reputation of being sort of a down-and-outers kind of place to be. So Joseph obeyed God for a long time. And we have other evidences that he obeyed God. You know, he, he brought Jesus to the temple to have his 
um, the naming done correctly and other things like that. So Joseph arrived to this earth according to God's plan and Joseph feared God and Joseph heard the gospel truth and Joseph obeyed God for a long time for his for basically his whole life. I also want to point out that Joseph saw some pretty amazing moments, right? There were some pretty cool stories that Joseph would never, ever forget. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to be there uh, to see some of those amazing, like when the visit of the shepherds, that night that the baby was born. And here, you know, this is Joseph's first exposure to, to childbirth, probably. And he's, he's there in this uh, poor person's place. There was no room in them in. And so all of a sudden these shepherds come marching in and they've been told, they can't help but tell the story that the angels told them to come and see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so Joseph observes all of that experience. And then um, when they did bring Jesus to Jerusalem to, to be um, circumcised as was required of the law, and um, they come and encounter uh, several prophets. They encounter Simeon and Anna, but Simeon um, was one and he said, now there was a man in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So he's waiting for the Messiah, for Israel to be comforted, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So he was being influenced and, and led by the Holy Spirit step by step, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So God told Simeon in his mind and his heart that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he would get to be there. He would get to see with his own eyes. So what expectancy every day? I don't know how long in advance he'd been told, but he's looking and looking. And he, so he's moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for them what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, so Simeon search and search and then finds him. And Simeon just takes him up. So Joseph doesn't introduce him. Mary doesn't say, hey, this is my baby who was born in a miraculous way. They just, Simeon just takes the baby in his arm and he praises God and says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You've kept your promise to me and now I can die in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. So again, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. And now Simeon's own eyes have seen God's salvation, the person that will bear the penalty of sin for all human beings. And he's a light for revelation. He's going to be the one who gets to tell the world, even to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. He's a light of revelation. The world is going to know that they can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus does. And it's going to be the glory of God's people Israel. And so the Bible tells us that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So Joseph and Mary are just amazed. How on earth? You, you, they're going through life in this, this newborn, and they're amazed that God has made it so clear of what's going on. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Well, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so the, Simeon makes a prophecy that, that Mary is going to witness the, um, the suffering of Jesus and it's going to be painful for her. I wonder in some ways if this 
ring uh, or ring a bell with Joseph. He says, why am I not going to have a sword pierce my sword soul? And the maybe the reason is because uh, we know that Joseph passed away before um, Jesus ever did suffer. We know that um, Joseph is alive at least when jo Jesus is 12. And there's a, later in his life, we'll read that passage pretty soon, that um, um, there was people knew that he was Joseph's son, the carpenter. But when the ministry starts of Jesus, they, the Bible says that your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And then at the death of the cross, Jesus uh, turns over the responsibility for his mother to his disciple John. And so there is no father. And so Jesus has been acting as his mother's uh, guardian and protector for that time. So Joseph must have passed away sometime before Jesus started his public ministry. So, so Joseph saw some amazing moments. The visit of the shepherds, the words of Simeon, and again, the visit of the wise men. What that must have been like. Again, look at when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So in the middle of the night, he gets up and has to move his family. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. You think he ever forgot that night? I don't think so. So again, Joseph arrived according to God's plan. And he feared God. And he heard the gospel truth. And he obeyed God for a long time. And he saw some amazing moments. You know, that's a just good description of a, of a Christian life for sure. But I also want to point out is he lived a quiet life. Joseph, like I said at the beginning, he didn't have any speaking parts. Maybe he was slow of speech. Maybe he, he couldn't express his feelings very well. I don't know. But he lived a quiet life. Even, even if he did speak, he, he was not famous. He was not notorious. No notoriety. Um, he was hardly what you would call a celebrity. I mean, you'd think he could be. It was important. It was a privilege. But look at, um, look at again, these quiet words. He said, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. So they went to their own town. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And so again, just another example of how, um, of how Joseph just, they did their normal life. They had a growing family and they packed all the kids up and went up to Jerusalem for the festivals. And they came back. I wonder when, by the time Jesus is 12, he could have three, four, even five possible siblings by the time that that would happen. And so um, Joseph is just doing his job, working for his family and taking care of them and uh, traveling back and forth according to the custom and pleasing God in the way that he lived. It was not a famous guy. Not really. And... And all these wonderful experiences that they remembered, the shepherds and the wise men, probably nobody came and 
talked about that stuff anymore. I wonder how many times Mary and Joseph would just talk to each other alone and say, I wonder when it's going to happen. I wonder how we're going to know what Jesus is doing and the world is waiting. There's another story about um, Joseph. He said, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Or this is more about insight into Joseph's family, not about him himself. But when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And coming to his hometown as Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. So the people hear Joseph, Jesus speaking in his own hometown. They've watched him grow up, and they're amazed. They said, where did this man get his wisdom, this wisdom, and these miraculous powers, they asked. So the, the hometown people, and this is you know the background behind when Jesus says a prophet's not without honor anywhere except in his own hometown. I mean, you never are regarded as famous in your own hometown. Everybody knows what you're like when you grew up. But Jesus was perfect when he grew up, so I don't know why they were so surprised. But here, um, they're asking the question, where did this man, Jesus, get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they ask? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, there's nothing outstanding about Joseph that would imply that his son would be super famous or talented. Isn't this mother's name Mary? We know her name. And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, so four brothers, and aren't all his sisters with us? So two at least sisters, they're plural, so maybe three sisters? So there are seven siblings to Jesus? I don't know. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so Joseph was a family man, and he took care of his family and, and taught them the ways of the Lord. Um, the Holy Spirit's working, of course. Even Jesus' own brothers don't believe in him, and, and his mother seems to struggle with things. But after he raises from the dead, his, uh, his family starts to understand, and, and his brother James becomes one of the leaders of the church and, and even writes one of the epistles of the New Testament. So Joseph did all these things. He, he arrived according to God's plan. He feared God. He heard the gospel truth. He obeyed for a long time. He saw some amazing moments in his life, some things that were really great worship moments, but a lot of basically boring stuff too. And he lived a quiet life. You know, wouldn't it be great if somebody could say those same six things about you? Or wouldn't it be great if I could say those same six things about myself. Do you realize that you and I, we too have arrived on this planet according to God's plan? We were born at the same, at the exact right family and the same and exact right race that God wanted us to be born. And we were born at the right time that God wanted us to be born. I didn't get to be born in the 1800s. I didn't get to be born in the 1400s. I was born in 1958. And that was God's perfect plan for my life. And he gave me gifts and abilities, and he led me to uh, meet my wife, and our family was established. And all of these things are according to his plan. And I can trust his plan as a good plan. He made me a man, and he made my wife a woman. And, and he didn't have to. He could have made us as persons in a different body. But he made us that way, and we need to respond to him. And the other thing is that I would want it to be said of me is that I feared God. I would want... I would want to live my whole life realizing that God exists. Fearing God isn't this constant dread that he's going to spank me or punish me, but it's the realization that he's involved in everything. 
Do you realize that we are all in this 2020 year, this difficult year of the pandemic and all the other difficulties that are going on? We're here according to God's perfect plan. And we're being tested. We're supposed to be fearing God. And we're supposed to look at these experiences through God's lens, through the realization that he exists. We're not in a horizontal world with no uh, outside influence. We're not in a bubble or in a box. No, God is in the world and God is involved in our lives. And when we acknowledge him and see how he's working, then that's true wisdom. That's fearing God. It's living with a constant perception that God is watching and part of it. The other thing I want to say is that the greatest, it's one thing to fear God, but it's the greatest thing ever to hear the gospel truth. To understand that I am a sinner and I cannot purchase my own salvation. I cannot earn favor with God. I cannot merit it. But if I trust Jesus alone and his work of dying on the cross, his perfect life and dying on the cross for me and then raising from the dead, vindicated for his righteousness, that that's the gospel truth that can save me. But even if I've got that, and that's the most important thing for sure, it still means that life is hard and, and it's not just a short road, it's obeying God for a long time. I need to obey God. Have you ever heard the statement, a, a, the obedience and the, a long obedience in the same direction? We don't always know exactly what God's doing in our life, but we need to obey what he's put in front of us right now. If he says, get up and run, we got to get up and run. But if he says, just keep on going, we, we keep on going, even if it's boring, even if it's once a year trips to Jerusalem, even if it's going to the carpenter shop over and over and over. We obey God for a long time. But you know, God gives us some amazing moments along the way, some experiences I'll never forget. I'll never forget one time I was in a large arena in downtown Detroit when I was a, a young teen, maybe four, 15 years old. And um, it was a, a spiritual training retreat. And it was uh, this, this really cool thing. And they sang an a cappella, Trust and Obey, about 8,000 voices with no musical instruments. Somebody just let out, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word and we trust and obey. And I've never in my life before or since heard such a beautiful sound of just thousands of human voices and you could hear the bass part and the tenor part and the alto part. I was amazed that it was so well balanced by just just the, the gifts that God had given that there was enough sopranos to sing the melody and, and you could hear each part and the tone was just so beautiful. I, I, I wept as a 15-year-old boy to hear such an amazing act of worship. There were some amazing moments in my life by God's grace. And so there, there's wonderful foretaste of the glories of heaven. But you know, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a boring person. And uh, I was teasing the other day, if I ever had a personality test, the biggest question I would have is whether I had one or not, whether I'd even get credit for having a personality. And I know that uh, the reason you're listening to this video or watching this video, listening to this podcast, is not because I'm such a great orator. It's just because you too are living a quiet life, and you haven't got a, an exciting part to be a big role to play in the world either. Or maybe not. Maybe our role is huge. Maybe we are the background against which one of our children becomes a great ambassador. Can you imagine Joseph? What a legacy. Obviously, the Lord Jesus, but even his son James and 
and his wife Mary and their impact on the church and the early church and and his other children um, maybe maybe our impact is just to be there to teach others what a difference they can make and so it's okay to lead a quiet life the Bible even tells us to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life and to not be a harm to others so I hope that this little meditation on the life of Joseph has been interesting to you. It's been interesting to me as I prepared for it, that we would turn our lives and be happy to be what God wants us to be. But most of all, to know and hear that gospel truth. Father, we thank you so much for your plan for our lives. Thank you for making us the way you did. Forgive us for the times that we resent our circumstances or our our lack of gifts, or our lack of influence even. Thank you that you are pleased. And we don't know your great plan and, and how big of an impact we can have. But you know what? Even even if we don't have a big impact in, in the world's eyes, we can be what you want us to be. And you designed it. You, you're doing it for your glory. And so I get to be, all of us get to be, contributors to your glory, almighty and holy God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. In celebration of the Christmas season, our church has developed a reading plan through the book of Isaiah to help us focus our hearts on Jesus as the mighty prophet, priest, and king sent to save us. If you haven't been reading Isaiah with us, it's not too late for you to join visit wpbiblefellowship.org advent to learn more. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.